Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. John chapter 9, verse 1, the Bible says, Hey, Michael, Manitoba, God bless you. The Bible says in John chapter 9, verse 1, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, so that he was born blind? Jesus answered and said, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is yet day. For night is coming when no man will be able to work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of this world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go now and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seen. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Isn't this he who sat in bed? And some said, This is he. Others were like, This is like him or this is someone who looks like him. He said, I am he. Therefore, they said to him, How were your eyes opened? And he said, A man called Jesus. I want you to write out in the comment section, A man called Jesus. A man called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes and said to me, Go now to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went, I washed, and I received sight. I'm going to read that again. I went, I washed, and I received sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. This is a powerful story of the miracle ministry of Jesus Christ. If you make Christianity just a religion of good philosophies and teachings and wonderful uh, stories and, you know, feel-good stories to get you through life, Christianity, Jesus, God, won't be of much help to you. Because God didn't send Jesus to establish a get-by system while you're on the earth. The Bible says in 1 John 3, 8, the Son of God was made manifest to destroy the work of the devil. God sent Jesus to destroy the work of the devil. Jesus came on an on assignment, a mandate from heaven, that whatever Satan had brought on the earth, remember what the disciples asked him, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents? And Jesus told them, it wasn't him or his parents. It's the fact that they were born in sin. Sin, uh, you know, when you're not in God, when you're not clothed with God's righteousness, there's a thing, a sin, a poison called sin, a nature called sin. That when you leave that nature unchecked to just prevail and, and continue to grow in your life, it will rot your system. It will rot your body. It, this man, his, his eyes were blinded because of it. Because remember, when God created Eden, 
He created it very good. There was no blind eyes in Eden. There was no sickness in Eden. There was no uh, demonic activity in, in Eden. There was no, you know, depression in Eden. Everything was created good. But Romans 5 says that when man sinned, death entered the world and death spread through sin. So the bodies of men, you know, when the devil told Adam, that if you'll, uh, or Eve, and said, if you'll eat of that fruit, you won't die. You won't die. I know God said you'll die, but you're not going to die. What he was twisting is that their death wouldn't be physical and immediate, but that death through sin would make its course in their bodies so that eventually Adam died. Eventually Eve died, but it wasn't an immediate death. And I always wonder, if sin's penalty was paid on demand, that the moment you sin, you receive the recompense of sin. So that the moment you, you put a, a needle in your arm and tried drugs, you would automatically feel like uh, the feeling a, a, 30, a, a man who's been doing drugs for 30 years feels on the spot. I guarantee you, if sin's consequences were paid on the spot, people wouldn't sin. People would back off sin. So the devil deceived Adam and Eve in telling them that their death, you're not going to die. And they didn't die immediately when they ate of that fruit. But what happened is, is that sin entered into their bloodstream. Sin entered into their bodies. Sin entered into their minds. It took over. And the Bible says, whatever you present yourself as a slave to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of righteousness leading to life. So that being said, that man, when, when the disciples came to Jesus and said, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents? He said, neither of them. But the course has, of sin has taken its hold on his body. We, you know, we all heard that saying. We all live in a fallen world. Yes, when you're not in Christ, when you haven't been translated out of the dominion of Satan into the dominion of Christ, when you still pertain to the elementary principles of this world, when you're still in bondage to the elements of this world, then you live in that fallen world. When your citizenship is not in heaven, but you're still from above and you speak of earthly things and you talk of earthly things and you're earthly, then you live in the fallen world and you will have to receive the recompense, the payments or the reward and the consequence and the penalties of living in that fallen world. So Jesus was saying, it's not, you know, that's what happens when you talk about healing. You know, you're telling people have sinned. No, I'm not saying you've sinned personally. Like, I'm not saying that sickness came on you because you're a sinner or whatever. But as long as you think you're part of this world system and that you're bound to sin, then that, that sickness will never leave off your body. You have to see yourself the way the Bible has described you to be. I'm no longer a how many of you know we're sinners saved by grace? No, I was a sinner. I have been saved by grace. Now I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And whatever came on the world through sin, I've been alleviated from. Christ has redeemed me from all the curse of the law, having been made a curse for me. For cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Can you say amen? So that being said, Jesus then takes some clay off the ground spits in the mud makes some clay puts it on his eyes and then tells him to go and wash i want you to see i mean go to luke chapter 7 I, the first thing i want to get settled in your spirit this morning this afternoon is that jesus is a miracle worker that he's not some teacher you see that's what islam teaches 
Jesus to be. Islam instructs their people that Jesus is actually mentioned 92 times in the, in the Quran. And his name is Isha. And Isha in the, in, in the Quran, Isa, Isa, that's what it is. Uh, he was a great teacher. He was a, he, he was a, a great philosopher. He, he helped the people. He was a great prophet. But that's it. He wasn't the son of God. And he's dead and he can't help you anymore. That, that's how they teach it. And you know what? There's a lot of churches that teach a practical Islam. In that Jesus, he did great things while he was on the earth. Amen. How many of you know Jesus was a miracle worker? They talk about him as though Hebrews 13a wasn't true. But my Bible stands true. Because Hebrews 13a says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. What Jesus was in gospel days is what Jesus is today. And what Jesus is today is what he will be tomorrow. I want you to notice something. Luke chapter 7. I want to paint the picture of who Jesus is, not by religion's paintbrush, but by the word of God's paintbrush. Luke chapter 7. And verse 18, the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. You know, Jesus was going about casting out devils, healing the sick. So John's disciples reported to him, hey, that guy you said was a son of God is doing quite a bit of things. So John called two of his disciples and said to them, are you, go and ask Jesus, are you the coming one or should we look for another? And the men came to Jesus and asked him, John the Baptist has sent us saying to you, are you the coming one? Or should we look for another? And that very hour, I want you to notice how Jesus told, he didn't just say, oh yes, I am the Messiah. Let me, let me show you from the scroll of Isaiah how I'm the Messiah. He didn't do that. The Bible says from that very hour, he cured many of sicknesses, afflictions, infirmities, evil spirits, and to many blind he gave sight. And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. The poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. In Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, when Jesus had gone through the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil, he returned from the wilderness in the power of the Spirit unto Galilee. And he began to work miracles, just like they described him in Luke chapter 7. He began to heal the sick. He began to uh, raise the dead. He began to have deaf people starting to hear. He began to have the lame starting to run. And the Bible says, when he came into the synagogue on the Sabbath, there was handed to him the, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And the Bible says it was actually his custom. Every Sabbath, Jesus was like the ordained scripture reader. That was his like assignment. That was his, his part to play in the order of the, you know, the order of service on Sabbath day in, in, uh, in his hometown. So he gets up, but this time there's an anointing. There's a power at work in him so that when he quotes the same scriptures he had quoted before, Luke chapter 418, quoting from Isaiah 61, the Bible says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. For he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to give recovery of sight to the blind, 
to proclaim release to the captives, the opening of prison doors, and to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the favorable year of our God. And the Bible says the eyes of all were fastened on him and they were amazed at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And then a couple of verses later, he goes into a synagogue. Now, I want you to understand this. When a minister went into a synagogue in those days, they, they weren't the only ones like in modern day. We have like one preacher that gets up on Sunday, one preacher. If it's a, a midweek service, we have one person that's given the task to deliver the word. Well, in the synagogue days, in the days of the Jews and even to this day the Jews don't just have one guy that get up they have several people that give words of exhortation so Jesus was not probably not the first one to get up there were other people that got up before Jesus but I want you to understand this Luke chapter 4 let me read this Luke 4 31 so he goes down to Capernaum a city of Galilee and he was teaching them on the Sabbath he was maybe they had two or three people before him and they were astonished at his teaching, meaning the other guy's teaching because they didn't carry the anointing of the Holy Spirit, which remember Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Don't you know of Jesus of Nazareth, whom God anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So he had the anointing without measure. And the Bible says, as he was speaking, there was a man in the synagogue, who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And as, as Jesus spoke, the demon cried out with a loud voice saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us before the time? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, shut up. See how Jesus didn't converse with demons? You see how Jesus didn't talk? He didn't talk to demons. He didn't, he didn't have conversations with demons. It, shut up. You're not to talk in my presence. What fellowship have we together? What communion does light have with darkness? Meaning what communication skills do we have even to understand each other? Shut up. And come out. And when the demon had thrown him in their midst, it came out of him and it did not hurt him. And they were all amazed. And they spoke among themselves. What kind of word is this? For with authority, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And the report of him went throughout every place in all the surrounding regions. Hallelujah. So you understand, Jesus went about as a fire-branded minister carrying resurrection power not to deliver hallmark cards to people oh you seem down on your luck oh here's a poem i wrote he didn't hand out poems he didn't speak spoken words to try and i'm not against those things but like that wasn't his primary ministry that wasn't his primary ministry uh, mission the bible says that he healed the sick he raised the dead when he assigned his disciples to do the same when he called his 12 to himself the bible says in mark chapter 3 he called them first to be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to cast out devils and heal the sick 
If, in North America, the reason why governments have deemed churches as non-essential is because we've abandoned the primary function of the minister, which is not to just give people a crunch to survive life's battles, but we have been given an authority, a mandate, and a commission from heaven to wherever we go. We are the resisting, restraining force of the Holy Ghost on the earth, that where we are, there's no fellowship between light and darkness. Where we are, darkness has to go. Where I go, I am the principality. Well, how many of you how many of you know there's a principality in this region, you know, in Montreal, there's just a spirit of lust. Where I am, I am the commanding dominion. I am the commanding principality wherever I go. Because the devil's not over my head. The devil's not eye to eye. The devil is under my feet. And the devil is under your feet so i want you to understand we don't serve an idol we serve a god whose hands are mighty to save whose eyes are not blind so he can't see what you're going through today his ears are not deaf so he hears he hears everything you've cried and groaned and and and, and, have, and have cried and prayed to him he's not deaf towards your cry but just crying out just you know that's why I told you, that's why I titled this thing today, Faith for Miracles. It's not enough just to ask God for a miracles. You know that the Bible doesn't say that there's a gift called the waiting of miracles? There's no gift called the waiting of miracles. How many of you know we just wait on God? Praise God, we're just waiting on Him. We're, I'm just waiting on the Lord for Him to break. You'll wait till you die. Because until your faith carries corresponding action, you will die the same way, the same way you are right now. There will be no change. Until your faith carries a corresponding action, there was there will not be changed. That's why I read John chapter 9 at the beginning, where the Bible says of this man who was born blind, when Jesus got to him, he didn't he didn't say, Hey, just ask me and I'll you know I'll touch your eyes and, and everything will be good. No, the Bible says he made clay from the spit on the ground put it on his eyes, and he gave him an instruction. Every time Jesus worked a miracle, there was an instruction. Even to the blind men that he touched their eyes, he gave them an instruction first to be carried out by the hand, and he led them out of the city into Bethany. So every time Jesus did a miracle, every time he performed a healing, there was always an instruction that was given that if followed, the miracle broke through and they were they were uh, delivered. So he spits up, then he tells him, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And the man, if he had just started to confess that word, praise God, I'm just believing God that, you know, my eyes are going to get better. Praise God, a man called Jesus came my way. I heard he's a miracle worker. Well, this clay, I still haven't washed it off. I still have it on my eyes because I know that my breakthrough's coming one day. If he had talked like that, there would have been no change. He would have stayed blind the rest of his life. But the Bible says, he went and washed and came back seen. Faith carries corresponding action. I'm going to show you from James chapter 2. I want you to write that in the comment section. Faith carries corresponding action. Faith carries corresponding action. If your faith has no outward proof to it, then it's fake. If your faith, if I can't see your faith, you know the Bible, how do you know you can see faith? Because Acts chapter 14 says it. 
Paul goes down to a city called Lystra and there's a man as he's preaching who was born impotent, a lame, a cripple from his mother's womb and he had never walked. And Paul, as he's preaching, saw that he had faith to be healed. How could Paul see that you have faith if faith is just in the heart? Because faith begins in the heart, but it's, it, it manifests in the mouth and it manifests and is expressed through actions. So I talked last week on the power of the tongue and faith to change the world. Before you can have faith to change the world, you have to change the way you speak because faith, out of the abundance of faith in your heart, your mouth will speak. But empty chatter leadeth only unto poverty. In hard labor, in all labor, there is profit. So if all you do is talk the, the promises of God, but you're actions actually contradict your words it will get you nowhere you will still stay sick you will still <laughs> there was a minister who um in the days of when tuberculosis was like running rampant and people were dying of it a lot and people still die of it uh, a lot more than the coronavirus to this day but anyways in that day uh he he was sick had burning fever you know hacking up whatever he had and uh, his already three people in his family had died of it and so he's on his sickbed and he thought, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna die. I might as well, if, if I'm gonna live like this, I don't wanna live much longer. And then the Lord spoke to him and put a scripture in his spirit from John 15, 7. That if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it shall be given you. And he said, Lord, I desire healing. And you said, and I think I've been abiding in you. I read my word. I study this book of the law. I, I press in. You know, I, I, I go to, he was a minister actually, he was a pastor. I, I don't live in sin, I've been, I've been seeking your face. So I, I'm abiding in you and your word's abiding in me. I know your word, I study your word every day. So scripturally I can ask you to heal me and you'll do it. And so he said that. And then the Lord said, I'm, I'm healing you right now. But he didn't feel any different. And the Lord spoke to him, I need you to act on what I told you to on what I on the promise of God I need you to act on John 15 7 if you believe that you'll have whatever I you've asked of me then put your foot on the ground get out of that bed and start walking and he had to take every ounce of strength he had and he lifted his foot off the bed got on and he said just doing that motion taking his two feet and putting them off the side of his bed required all his strength and energy and he said it was like burning up like his system was burning up and he had such excruciating pain but then he said you know what i've come this far he got up just getting up hurt him you know as he took those steps in action he said, the moment I started to clothe myself, I started to feel better. Then within one hour, he was 100% better. His lungs had cleared out. His fever had gone. The same day, he went back to work and was preaching. Can you say amen? So you see, had he just taken, well, I believe I can ask whatever. You know, I believe that whatever I ask, if I abide in him and his word abides in me, that I'll have whatever I desire because the Bible says so. Amen. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. No, you have to do what God said to do if you're going to have what God said you can have. So as he acted on the word, faith acts on the word of God, believing that the Bible is the fact of the universe. Yeah. Well, what about brother so-and-so? You know, he believed with all his heart. Well, do you understand that there... <laughs> 
another man's faith, faithlessness does not nullify the faithfulness of God. Romans 3, 4. Let all men be liars, but God be true. I don't, stop putting your eyes on other negative reports. Well, how I many, you know, brother, this and that. They, they really believe God. You know, they were, oh man, they were at every prayer meeting. That's great for them. And you know, it's sad to see their story. However, that doesn't nullify God's powerful promises. Second Corinthians, now unto him who always leads us in triumph in everything through Christ Jesus. I am ordained. I am empowered. I am hardwired in Christ to triumph everywhere I go. So that means, and that's not, that doesn't regard other people's testimonies. I only regard the word of God. I only see my focus my eyes, whatsoever is true, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is good, whatsoever is noble, whatsoever is of excellent report, which is the word of God. I dwell on these things. Stop dwelling on, on failures. Start to forget those things which are behind. Lay hold. Fight the good fight of faith. Don't let the devil get you to navigate, uh, you know, distract you on, on, on people's stories that have gone south quickly. Let that rob you of your faith. That's why the Bible says faith is a fight. You are to fight the good fight of faith. I'm not considering my own body. I'm not considering my external circumstances. I, I consider the word of God and the word of God is all I consider. And because of that, I'm fully persuaded that if I do what God said I should do, then my God, he didn't say things he didn't mean. What he said he meant and what he means he says. And my God will do exactly what he said he will do. No matter the devil's trial, no matter the devil's... Uh, attempts no matter the devil's efforts hallelujah james chapter 2 what does it profit my brethren if someone says he has faith if you haven't shared the broadcast please share it if someone says he has faith but does not have works can faith save him if a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily faith and one of you says to them so empty confession that's what i'm talking about there's empty confession Empty confession. I believe in one, in one environment, you're at church, music's sensational, you feel good, you start giving faith declarations, but then, you know, you get around other people, around work or family and stuff, and you start acting as if you didn't have the victory. In service, I, I have the victory. I know I'm overcoming. I'm going to make it to the other side. Then you get around other people and your actions and your words totally contradict whatever victory you had declared under the anointing. That's why you have to cultivate an environment where the anointing's constantly flowing. You know that I don't have to get into a, uh, a service to feel the anointing. I feel the, I live by the spirit and I walk by the spirit. I live anointed. That doesn't mean that every day I feel anointed, but I know I'm anointed and I live anointed. And as such, that anointing's constantly on the work for me, giving me victory everywhere I go. So empty confession, it, it, it'll do you no good. It'll actually be the most frustrating thing. You're confessing, you know, you can confess prosperity all you want, but until you give you won't receive. Jesus said, "Ye, if you give, you shall receive. Pressed down, shaken together, falling over into your lap. 
So you can confess every prosperity scripture until you're blue in the face, till you have no more oxygen in your body, till your larynx and your vocal cords give out. But until you start taking prosperity actions, your prosperity words mean nothing. In the same vein, you can confess Jehovah Rapha all you want, but until you start taking action, get out of that sickbed, start doing things. You know, every time I pray for people to get healed or if they're, uh, if they say I have pain in my back or I have pain, whatever, I'll have them take a, a step of faith by moving something they couldn't move. You know, there's a man of God who was doing a tent crusade, I believe in the south of the United States. And as he was preaching, there was a, a, a man in the first row whose head was like dipped into his neck. And he, as he was preaching, he felt the anointing to go over and minister to that man. So he called him up and his wife was sitting right by him. And the man had actually been in an accident where he had lost three, three like vertebrae. So his neck had been positioned by doctors to stay in a certain area so that if he, if he moved too quickly or if it got dislodged, he would have to rush to an emergency room or else he would die quickly because, you know, it would be out of place. The doctors had strategically placed it in such a way for him to live and just get by. So that uh, man of God, evangelist Ted Shuttlesworth Sr., he goes to where he's at and he calls him up. Then by the, it's everybody, I want you to write in the comment section, the working of miracles. The working of miracles. You don't wait for miracles, you work the miracle. You work the word until the miracle comes. So he grabs the man's head and by the gift of faith lifts his head up and his head jolted upward and there were like cracks, tack, tack, tack. And even he said in, in testifying of this story, as a faith preacher who had been in the ministry for several, many years up until this point, and had worked, had seen miracles, had been in 10 crusades with uh, R.W. Schambach. He had seen, you know, a lot of miracles. Even he stood back and went, whoa. Because he felt under his hand three new vertebrae get added to that man's neck. The cool part about that's great, but the even cooler. There was a, a Muslim family, a father and his daughter that had been invited by friends to attend this crusade in the second row. And that little girl who was about six, seven years old had been eyeing that man the whole service because you see someone come in like this in a service and you're a little kid. You know, you, that's something you've never seen. So you actually, it, it, it causes you to just stare. You know, obviously when you grow older, it's, it's not polite to stare. But a little girl, she, she's not been told it's not polite. She's just staring like, that's crazy. So when she saw that happen, she was like tearing up because she had never seen anything like that. The evangelist Ted has her come up and she said, he asked her, little girl, would you like to feel what a, what a miracle feels like? And she says, yes, tearing up. She puts her hand on the, on the neck. As she does, you know, the way to stop live wire is not to put your hand on live wire because you're going to get zapped. When she put her hand on that guy's neck, she zapped by the anointing, falls under the power with the electro, you know, the anointing is like electricity. John G. Lake used to call it the lightnings of God. She falls out and starts speaking in other tongues. Her father, who was a Muslim, had never seen any of this. He gets up out 
of his seat to go and help her. When he tries to pick her up, he falls out under the power of God and starts speaking in other tongues. How? I don't know. Somewhere between them seeing that miracle, Jesus must have entered into their heart. And when they got in contact, they fell under the power and, and got saved and got filled with the Holy Ghost. The next night, he had brought, you know, when a, a patriarch in a Muslim family gets saved, they, they like, like military men will bring their whole family to Christ. He had two rows full of cousins, aunts, and uncles. And at the end of the service, he led them out with no choice. Every one of you, get up. Led them all to the altar, and they all prayed the sinner's prayer and got saved. Can you say amen? But I want you to see, there was a working, there was a step of faith that man of God took in working that miracle. When Naaman, the cap captain of the Syrian army, was of a leper, and the Bible says that he had complained about his leprosy so much that a Hebrew woman that was a slave in his house said, hey, if you really want an answer to this, there's a prophet in Israel who works miracles. Go and see him, I tell you. There's nothing that man can't do because the power of God's at work in him. So he ends up taking some people to Elisha's house. Get into Elisha's house. He expects Elisha to come over and just wave his hand over him. But instead, Elisha says, I want you to follow my instruction. I want you wherever you're at, wherever you're at to say out loud, prophetic instruction. Bring God's promises. Prophetic instruction. Bring God's promises. When you follow the prophetic decree, if you'll diligently hearken unto my voice, it shall come to pass. This book is not a book of promises. It's a book of covenant promises. Covenant is a contract with well-defined terms within two parties. That when one party does its end and the other party does its end, then it brings about the benefits of that covenant contract. In the same vein, God has made a covenant with man. If you'll diligently hearken, not just hear, because the Bible says there are people who are hearers of the word only, but they're not doers. So they deceive their own selves. And that's what we have, a generation of deceived Christians who thought... And that's why, you know, you can get on the on the ditch on, on any doctrine. You can get into excesses where it's all about speaking. Just declare it and it'll come. It's not just about speaking. It's taking breakthrough actions mixed with breakthrough words and breakthrough thoughts that will bring breakthrough. That is the irrefutable recipe for breakthrough in any area of life. When you take breakthrough words... A breakthrough actions mixed with breakthrough words and by thinking breakthrough thoughts it will inevitably bring breakthrough in your life in any area Hebrews 4 2 the Bible says this that they received the word even as we received it but they didn't mix faith in it and so it didn't profit them as it profited us Hebrews 4 2 the gospel which was preached unto them did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith in them that believed. So you ha it's not just about having faith in the heart. If you hide the word in your heart, it'll do you no good. There has to be an overflow of it in your heart where it moves you to action. If your faith doesn't move you, then it won't move God. For by faith... The Bible says, Noah moved with godly fear. By faith, Noah moved 
with godly fear and he prepared an ark if all noah did well god's gonna say how many of you know god's sending a flood a lot of people they talk well god's about to open up the floodgates of heaven over your life i'm telling you just believe it 2020 will be the best year you ever had 2020 will be the worst year you ever had if all you if if you take the worst steps you ever took but if you take bible steps then yes 2020 will be the best year in in spite of covid 19 in spite of quarantine because god's not confined to the political agendas of our day god is not restricted to government regulations and and the economies of this world if you'll do what he said you could you can guarantee you know people say how many of you know tomorrow's not promised actually if you do what god's word said to do today then you'll secure your tomorrow it's not ecclesiastes says to those that aren't redeemed time and chance happen to them all to those that aren't redeemed the bible says it, the race is not to the swift neither battle to the strong nor is bread to the men of understanding nor riches or to people who have favor but time and chance happen to them all but when you are redeemed hallelujah and i am redeemed i am redeemed let the redeemed of the lord say so i am redeemed and as such the bible says that if i take and do god's word today i can secure my tomorrow proverbs 1 if you will listen to me you will dwell safely and you will be secure without fear of evil. Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Hallelujah. What's the fear of the Lord? The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom. Carrying out God's instruction. And the Bible says when you fear God, it's a fountain of life. Hallelujah. And it turns you upward from the snares of death. That when men are plunging deep into the disasters of sorrows... As for me in my house, when men say there's a casting down because I carry out God's instruction, because I fear God, there's a lifting up. I'm always on an upward trajectory. I'm always going from glory to glory. I'm always going from strength to strength because I do what God said I should do. I keep his commandments and I do those things which are pleasing in his sight. No wonder Jesus said, the father is always with me. That's why I work these miracles. Because I always do those things that please him. When you do what pleases God, let me tell you, the devil becomes a non-issue. Miracles become a supernatural lifestyle. It was when Peter heard the word of Jesus, get out of the boat and come and walk. When he, had, when he took the step of faith, acting on the word, he didn't just say, oh, hallelujah. That's what happens in churches. How many of you know we can walk on water? Amen. How many of you know we can raise the dead? Amen. But none of them ever even venture out to even attempt to raise the dead. That's what separated Ben Saida Hosa in his generation, the Nigerian minister, Ben Saida Hosa. When he got saved, two weeks after, he heard a, a miracle. Uh, he, heard a, he heard a pastor preaching that with God, we can do all things, that we can raise the dead, cleanse the leper. So he went to him after and said, is it, is it true what you said? Can I raise the debt? And the pastor said, well, yeah, theologically, that's correct. You can do that. He said, that's all I need to know. He went throughout his town and village that day and knocked on doors from 12 p.m. till 4.30 p.m. and asking, is there any dead here? Are there any dead here? No, there's none. Are there any dead here? Finally, at 4.30 p.m., someone opened up the door. Yes, our daughter just died. What do you want? He said, I've come to raise the dead. 
Hallelujah. I've got, some of us have to have that complex, that superiority complex over all the powers of, def, of the devil. You know what Hebrews 2.14 says? That just, just as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, even so Jesus partook of the same. That through death, Jesus has delivered us from him who had the power of death. That is the devil. The devil doesn't have the power of death anymore. We have the power of death in us because Christ liveth in me the hope of glory. Christ liveth in me the prince of life. Christ liveth in me and his word is in me which is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword and it's able to pierce the spirit and soul, meaning it's able to affect man's spirit and soul, his mind, and it's able to affect the bone and marrow, meaning it touches the body. It touches the flesh. It's able to raise the dead. Jesus didn't raise Lazarus just to prove to you that he's the son of God. He raised Lazarus to show you that I am the resurrection and the life. And if you have me in you, you have that resurrection power in you. And as you lay your hands on the sick, you can transfer that resurrection power into others that are dead, into others that are dying. And they that were given an assignment from hell to kill them prematurely, they that have been given a doctor's report, they that have been given a negative report, they that have been given a premature appointment with death, they will spring back to life by the resurrection of power of God in you. So that man goes in, I've come to raise the dead. You know, the Bible talks about Elijah in 2 Kings 1. When they had sent, the, the he was like the world's most wanted because he had defied the commands of Jezebel. So Ahab sent captains of 50 to go and arrest him. But he was on the mount called Carmel at the top of the mountain. And so when they got there, they called out to Elijah, get down here. And Elijah didn't reply. See, that's the thing. And I want to get, a, I, I entitled this violent faith for miracles. Because until you get a violence in your spirit towards the work of the devil and the mess of the devil in your life, you'll stay bound. If you placate, pamper, and nurse Satan's assaults in your life, then he'll stay and be comfortable and remain the remainder of your days. Whatever you don't resist has a right to remain. Whatever you don't confront, you will never conquer. Whatever you don't want in life, you will never watch. Whatever you don't want, you'll never watch and you'll never have. You have. That's why that woman with the issue of blood, there were other people that were touching Jesus that day, but none of them received their miracle because she had a desperation in her heart. She, on the spot, should have been stoned to death because she by Jewish law was to be quarantined because of her, her condition but she said man I'm through living this way you have to get that same spirit in you that violent spirit Matthew 11 11 of those born of 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 a woman there has never risen one greater than John the Baptist yet he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he and I tell you that the ever since the days of John the Baptist the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force faith is not cheap talk faith is a violent fight it's a fight the good fight of faith only in fighting the good fight of faith will you lay hold on the life of God which Christ died for you to have stop 
taking on this North American, cheap, weak, neutered Christianity. Whatever happens in life happens. How many of you know sometimes good things come our way, sometimes bad things, and we just got to make do with whatever cards are dealt with to us. That's the lie of the devil to keep you bound. You have to... That woman with the issue of blood, she said, I'm going to press in and I'm going to touch. When she did, virtue, anointing. The anointing is on the earth. The power of God is always at work. The Bible says when Jesus was teaching, the power of the Lord was present there to heal. Well, in the same vein, as I'm teaching today, the power of the Lord is present to heal you. The power of the Lord is present even now to restore what the enemy's taken, to restore what the locusts have chewed away at. The, the power of the Lord is present here on this broadcast to break you free from long-standing issues. But if you just admire it, it won't do you any good. You have to press through the crowd and say, if anyone's leaving, from this broadcast today it's gonna be me if anyone's leaving with a miracle in their hand if anyone's leaving here with a healing testimony it's gonna be me I don't care if the person on my left doesn't get it or the guy on my right as for me I'm pressing through the crowd and I don't care what I look like I don't care what man thinks of me I'm gonna touch the hem of his garment and when I do that same spirit which raised Christ Jesus from the dead shall come in my body and I'm getting up and what I couldn't do before, I'm going to begin to do by faith in the God, in the God that I serve. Hallelujah. I want you wherever you are just to lift your hands. There's an anointing right here. Some people are receiving it right now. I want you wherever you're at. If you're sick in your body, if it's your neck, I feel like there's someone here watching. There's an, an excruciating neck pain. You've had to like stay like this. People look like, people look at you funny because you're just, you know, you move your neck like this. God's healing that neck right now. I, there's like a heat coming into that neck right now. In the name of Jesus, you won't have to... Uh, Doctors said, oh, it's just a part of old age. It won't have to be like that. In the name of Jesus, that power gets into, the Bible says he already carried our pains. If he carried our pains, what, what business have you in carrying them another day in your life? In the name of Jesus, be healed in your body. If it's in your back, if it's in your knees, do something you couldn't do. Bend over if it's your back. Touch your toes. I pray if it's in your back, you haven't been able to touch your toes in years, God will put like a gymnastic anointing on you. You'll be able to touch your toes, do what you couldn't do, do what you only did 20 years ago. You'll start doing it again in the name of Jesus. God needs a, you know, when the Bible says he brought the people of Israel out of Egypt, he brought them out with silver and gold, and there was none feeble or weak amongst all their tribe. Not only were there none sick, there wasn't anyone weak amongst all their tribe. God doesn't want a weak, defeated army. God wants us strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Hallelujah. So faith has work. Faith has work. Finishing off the, Naaman. Naaman was told by Elisha, go and dip yourself in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored. And he got ticked off. A lot of Christians... They, they, they want to be told, your season's coming. They want to be told these like empty prophecies from empty-headed prophets who don't give them the word of life to tell them how to guarantee breakthrough. They just, I speak breakthrough over you. It won't do anything if you keep taking counter scripture actions and expect scripture blessing you'll stay in that ditch you're not a baby anymore 
It would be weird if my son, my son's a year old now, but if he was 25 years old and still breastfeeding, <laughs> there's something wrong with that child. It, that's not going to happen, obviously, but I'm saying that there would be something wrong with a child that was 25 years old and still breastfeeding. And that's how a lot of people do. They go from conference to conference. If God wanted to use somebody else's anointing to break you free, to help you, to minister to you, and, and, and you know, for you to feed off their anointing, then he would have kept the Old Testament way of doing things where you have to go to the high priest. Jesus wouldn't have to come, but Jesus came so that not there wouldn't just be one hot spot, hot spot of the power of God where you have to go to Jerusalem and go to the Ark of the Tabernacle, which was in the Holy of Holies, and present yourself there so that you can get healed in your body or whatever, get the favor of God on your life. Instead, Jesus came to tear the veil of the temple from top to bottom so that the power of God, instead of there just being one Jesus roaming the seas of Galilee, now there is he who believes the works you see me do, ye shall do in greater. Many Jesuses, not because you're Jesus or I'm Jesus, but Christ lives in me. So we don't have to go to the, 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 the western wall and put our little prayer requests in the crevice of the wall so we can get God's favor on our life. Instead, the presence of God through Christ, as you give your life to Him, He cleanses your old being. The old, is, the old you is gone. Everything becomes new. You're now a vessel that's a candidate to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit and the power of God in its entirety. So you can not only, you don't have to go from conference to conference. You can pick up this book, read it, like Joshua did. This book of the law shall never depart from your mouth. But be careful to read it, meditate on it, and observe to do the things that are written in it. For then you will be prosperous and you will have good success. So you don't have to call pastor at 3 a.m. Pastor, I need prayer. You're not called to be a prayer project. You can receive instructions from this word today that if applied, and not just applied once, it's, it's amazing because a doctor will tell someone, you need to take these antibiotics for like 30 days or you need to come back every, every two weeks for the next two years so we, that we, you know, we check you for X, Y, and Z uh, just to make sure everything's going all right. And they'll do it like, like sheep. They'll show up every two weeks, not complain about it, show up joyfully but then you tell them and then they, you tell them to try God they do it once you try it once well, I tried that it didn't work the Bible says when the cloud is full of rain it'll drop down the rain cast your bread among the waters and after many days it'll return it's not one time thing it's repeated exercise of the word of God imagine I went imagine I went to the gym and I, 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 I went for an hour one day Woke up the next morning. The heck is this? Where I thought I was supposed to be. I, I wanted to look like Jay Cutler, Mr. Olympia. How come I still look like old me? Because you went once. You tried it once. You have to be. The Bible says in uh, Hebrews 4.11, be diligent. Let us labor diligently in this word, lest we fall after the same example of unbelief. Be diligent. The Bible, could you imagine a farmer who went to sow one seed 
And then at the end of harvest season, he and didn't water it, nothing. At the end, when harvest season comes, comes around, he goes to collect his crop. And even the seed he had, it was uprooted because a rabbit came in and started eating or whatever. And he co starts complaining. Man, I expected a harvest. Where's my harvest? You have to keep sowing and keep watering and keep plowing until the harvest season. And if you don't grow weary in well-doing, ye shall reap a harvest if you don't quit and give up. For he that sows to the flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption. But don't be deceived. God is not mocked. If you sow to the Spirit, you will from the Spirit reap life and everlasting life. We're not meant to be prayer projects. We're not meant to, to go from conference to conference. Ditch, you know, you get out of one ditch. How many of you know? Every time God delivers you, there will always be an imminent, imminent attack. Life's just a lifelong struggle with the forces of darkness. That's why the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. When the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, it's saying the devil will keep trying, but he'll never win. Because we have the armor of God. If it just said we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and forces of darkness in heavenly places, and that's where it stopped, then I'd be like, all right, life's going to be hard. But the Bible doesn't end there. It goes on to say, take ye up the whole armor of God so that you can stand in the, in the evil day. Ma Matthew chapter 7. The Bible says from verse 24 to 30. He that hears these words of mine and doesn't do them. He's like a, a fool who builds his house on the sand. The winds come, the rain descends, and the floods beat and blow against the house, and it falls, and great is its fall. But he that hears these words of mine and doesn't just hear them, but does it, that man shall be blessed in his work. James chapter 1, whosoever continueth, continueth, old-fashioned word of saying continues. He who continues, not dips his feet in, no, who immerses himself and continues, who's dedicated, steadfast, and consecrated, given himself over to the demands of Scripture, who continues in the, in the, uh, in the law of liberty, and is not a forgetful hearer, that man shall be blessed in his work. Elisha tells him, go and, go and wash in, the, in the, the river Jordan. How many rivers back in Damascus are way better than this dirty Jordan River? And you're telling me to go and wash in the Jordan? Man, I came here. What a waste of time. You told me this guy was a man of God. Man, that Hebrew girl, I'm going to have her head on a plate. She just wasted a week of my life traveling here and back. Elisha, uh, uh, the man of... The Syrian commander's servant speaks up. If he would have asked you to go and do some complex thing, how much more would you have done it? Now he's asking you to do something simple, to just dip in the river. Some people are too proud to receive a miracle because they don't want to... James 4, 7. Submit unto God, then resist the devil, and you will flee. Some people are resisting the devil. He's not fleeing because you haven't first submitted... To God's demands first. Let me tell you about some, something about God's demands. Isaiah 48, 17. It is the Lord your God who teaches you to profit. When God asks you to do something, it's not for your demotion. It's always for your promotion. It's not for your regression. It's always for your progression. It's not to set you back. It's to propel you forward. Don't resist. Some people are resisting God. And submitting to the devil. And that's why he's never fleeing. But if you'll submit to God. Resist the devil. 
you'll see how quickly he'll run and be put to flight. So I want to talk about violent faith and just some components of violent faith. Number one, there has to be desperation. Where does that desperation spring from? That desperation springs from what you know your inheritance is in the word of God. When you find out that you're destined to be above always and never beneath, then when you start to feel like you're beneath, it'll put a, a desperation in your heart where you know you're destined for better things than this. Until you get desperate, you'll remain destitute. Until you get desperate, you will remain destitute. There has to be desperation. There has to be a hunger. I'll pour water on him that is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. David, my soul longs for thee. My flesh thirsts for thee in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. To see thy power as it is unto this day in thy sanctuary. Mark chapter 2. There's a man who's lame. Jesus is preaching. In a house, there's no room to receive them, not even near the door. Most Christians would have said, well, we'll just come back tomorrow, amen. No. We came here for a breakthrough. We came, we already said, we're not leaving until this guy starts walking. So they get on the roof and make a hole in the roof and lay him down. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the men, pick up your pallet and walk. Their desperation was expressed through their faith actions and faith works. Well, how many of you know th this sounds work-based, Brother TJ? We're, we're saved by grace and not by, by works. Yeah, we're saved by grace through faith. Even salvation has a work to it. You have to repent. You can confess salvation all you want. Can believe you're saved all you want and believe in your heart all you want unless you repent you will split hell wide open when peter preached they were pricked to the heart men and brethren what shall we do good preaching persuasive anointed preaching will always produce that level of response in the people where they'll say what shall we do it'll always compel people to action it'll bring people to a point of action to a decision point. That I'm not going to live this way. I'm, I'm changing. I'm metanoia. I'm repenting. Total change of thought. Change of direction. Change of actions from this day forward. So number one, there's a desperation. Number two, violent faith makes you spiritually resolute. What do I mean by that? There, <laughs> you become hard-headed. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you don't bow, we're going to throw you into a fiery furnace. Oh, really? Well, let this be made known unto you, Nebuchadnezzar, O king. Even, even if, well, first of all, our God is able to deliver us. Number two, our God will do it, even if he did it, which he will. That wasn't a confession of doubt. That was them saying, spiritually resolute, Jessica. Violent faith makes you spiritually resolute. Even if he doesn't, I will never bow. I'm standing on the word of God. 
And the Bible says it infuriated. You know, when you talk like that, it ticks the devil off. And he'll try and intimidate you further. But Philippians 1.28 says, if you'll not be intimidated or terrified by his tactics, it'll be a sign to him of his destruction, but to you of salvation and that from God. And what ended up happening? When they were spiritually resolute, if I perish, I perish. Esther said, if I perish, I perish. They said, if you go into the king's courts without a, an appointment, he's going to kill you. I don't care. I'm not going to let my people go to shame. I'm not going to let uh, Haman have his way. I'm not going to let the devil take my generation. If I per and nobody else is rising up to the, to the task. If I perish, I perish. And one ended up happening. They threw him into the three Hebrew boys into the burning fiery furnace. And the Bible says that there were, what had happened? What happened? It compelled God's intervention. Violent faith always compels divine intervention to rescue you. And Nebuchadnezzar looked over and he said, didn't we throw three men? How is it that I see a fourth man whose appearance is like the son of God? Hallelujah. How is it that I see a fourth man? And not only that, they had bound him with ropes. The ropes burnt off. But when they lifted them up out of the, the burning furnace, they, and remember, it was so hot that the people that threw them into the furnace ended up getting consumed by the heat. So they had to wait till the furnace ended up, you know, subs cooling down. So they weren't in that for like five minutes. They were in a burning furnace, like a forest fire, for day on day on, not on day, hour upon hour. Who knows, maybe three, four hours. And the Bible says when they were taken out, their clothes did not even smell like smoke. And a hair on their head didn't even burn. Hallelujah. You know what that tells you? Violent faith can reverse the irreversible and take you out as though you were never, with no evidence of you ever even being in the ditch from which you were rescued. Hallelujah. Violent faith, when you maintain a spiritual resolute that the God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should change his mind. Hath he not spoken a thing? Will he not make good on it? Hath he not declared a thing? And will he not bring it to pass? The Lord my God is, the Bible says, Malachi 3.6, I am the Lord your God and I change not. Has God changed? No. And God and his word are one. A man and his word. A man is only as good as his word and his word is only as good as he is. If my word is bad, I'm bad. If my word is good, then I'm good. If God's word is bad, then that makes God bad. But God's word stands true forever, O Lord. Thy word is settled in the heavens, the Bible says. The heavens pass away. The earth is done away with. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Hallelujah. Faith can reverse the irreversible situations of life. I don't care what the devil's done to you or your family.
I don't care what the sickness, it's eating away at your body. Doctor said you'll never even, you'll never operate the same. You'll never function the same. I tell you the truth, in the name that is above every name, as the spirit of faith gets on the inside of you, and you begin to exercise that faith, whatever doctor said was incurable, God said, I can replace. Even if that organ doesn't get cured, God has replacement parts in heaven. Whatever is not curable, God can replace. And he'll make you so that like Caleb at 85 years old, as you grow older, you won't grow weaker. Old age doesn't have to mean weaker in, in, in physique. You can grow stronger and stronger. That Caleb said, I'm as strong this day. From the day I was, uh, from the day at 40 years old, when we received the promise, I'm still as strong today. This is the inheritance of the servants of the Lord, and the righteousness is of me forever and ever. Spiritual resolute. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't take the word of God and put it in your museum. People like to frame it on their wall. Oh, we stand the B-I-B-L-E. Now that's the book for me. We stand alone on this book alone, the B-I-B-L-E. Just, just admiring it ain't going to do anything. You have to put your hand to the plow. Whatever you're, whatever you're going through today, if you'll read the Bible, there will be, a, there will be a, an instruction that if followed, will break you out, no matter what you're going through. No matter what you're going through, there's always, there's an instruction that if followed, will break you out. Hallelujah. I want you to lift your hands wherever you're at. If you're watching on the replay, do the same. Presence of God's going to come in right now. Into your bodies to restore, into your minds to restore, into your families to restore. God's power is a restorative power. It's the stronger one than the strong man who goes in, binds the strong man and plunders his house so that we can then, what the enemy took from us. You know, the thing is, is every time the devil tries to take something, he's a thief, right? He steals, kills, and destroys. Anytime he, he successfully steals something, he, the Bible says when a thief steals to satisfy himself, he must repay sevenfold. He always has to repay with interest. So it only hurts him even more. When you... <laughs> So whatever the devil has stolen from you in the name of Jesus gets repaid back to you with interest today in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. You've dwelt along this mountain long enough. There was a story in the Old Testament, 2 Kings 7. And uh, there was four lepers, four leprous men that when Israel was totally besieged 
by a foreign army. Those four leprous men, they said, you know what? We're going to starve, we're going to die of starvation here if we stay. So let's leave the gate, go to the foreign army, surrender, and you know, if they let us live, then at least we'll live a few more days. We're dying anyways. But if they kill us, we're dying anyways. But why sit we here until we die? Why sit we here until we die? Some of you have been sitting on God's promises. And nothing's changed. And that, that's exactly what rose up in those men. A violent faith. Why sit we here until we die? Let's move. It's time to move. You've dwelt along this mountain long enough. Now, rise up. Deuteronomy 2. Contend. There are giants in every man's promised land. Paul said, a great and effective door has opened unto me, but there are many adversaries. The devil doesn't want you to walk in God's promises. The devil, will, he's the resistor and the accuser. That's why it takes violent faith to subdue the enemy. Because without a, a, a violence, he, he doesn't respect this, you know, North American Christianity. That's right, Lisa. Enough is enough. Why sit we here until we die? I'm through. You don't have to put up with the devil's crap another day in your life. Hallelujah. If you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus. Now's the time to do it. No, don't put it off another day in your life. Because your, your peace is in joining hands in the Prince of Peace. Outside of Him, there's no peace. There's an allusion to peace, but there's no genuine peace. So wherever you're at, I want you to pray this prayer. From the bottom of your heart, say this with me. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I believe in my heart that you raised Jesus from the dead. And I confess with my mouth, Jesus is Lord. I turn from my old ways. I turn from my sin. Forgive me. Wash me clean. Make me a new creature. And fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm moving forward from today. The old is past. The new has come. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer with me, I want you to go on our website, salvationnow.ca. The first link that pops us is I just got saved. Click it, fill it out. I want to get some material to you. Uh, a, a, a CD I made. I want to bless you, help you out free of charge. We pay all shipping, handling, and everything. I want to get it to you. Just give me your address and stuff and uh, let me know you got saved. Now for everyone else watching, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you that from this broadcast, the gift of faith would come on the inside of you. And the word that you, the instruction you need to follow. You know, some of you already know what God's told you to do, but you've put it off. Anytime God wants to take you to a higher level, He always delivers. He always gives you something to follow. He always gives you something to do. Anytime God wants to take you to a higher level, there's always something to do. Always. John chapter 2. There's no more wine. What do you want me to do about it? Mary says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Fill the water pots with water. You know, back in the day, 
It wasn't like you can turn a faucet on. You had to go and like pump a, a well or whatever and fill the fill those six water pots that were like 20 to 30 gallons a piece. That took, that took an hour, two hours, three hours to do. Maybe even more. Had they just complained, what is this? Fill that with water? Are you crazy? Those are the ceremonial pots for washing. They're already filthy in the first place. What is this guy trying to, this guy's lost his marbles. They that despise the word shall be destroyed. They that despise the word shall be destroyed. Despise is not, I hate God's word. Despise is not the atheist that mocks the word of God. Despise is hold the word in light esteem. Well, I know what it says to do, but you know, I'm just believing God that, you know, God sees my heart. He sees my heart. Yeah, he sees your heart in your actions. But the Bible says a man's heart reveals the man. Proverbs. A man's heart reveals the man. God sees your, the Bible says the Lord God is a God of knowledge. By him, actions are weighed. God weighs your actions. They're the scales of God. The weights and balances of God. He weighs your actions. The Bible says, um, there's a way that seems right unto men, but the end is the way of death. But then it says that uh, in the book of Proverbs, what does it say? Oh yeah, the heart, the Lord weighs the, the motives, or the, heart, the Lord weighs the spirits, or the Lord weighs the hearts. So He weighs our actions. Act, what you do matters to God. So I'm going to pray right now that God would empower you to uh, meditate on this book day and night. To, to, to let it become your delight. And empower you by the gift of faith to work miracles where you go. Jesus said, fill the bottle. They did. Now take some out and bring it to the master of the feast. When they did, the water was turned to wine. And a miracle was wrought. And this beginning of signs and wonders. How did Jesus begin his signs and wonders? By giving out an instruction and the people believing that instruction and working, carrying it out. Carrying it out. That's what produced the miracle. It wasn't God, had he just said, fill the water pots with water they, and they didn't do anything, they would have gone without wine. They carried it out. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now that the gift of faith would fall on those watching right now. That as they study your word, that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, that they would cultivate a heart-rooted faith that compels their hands to act based on a conviction that God's word is true and he cannot lie. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray as they do, just as you turn water into wine, I pray, would you turn their bitter waters into sweet waters? Would you turn their dead organs into living organs? In the name of Jesus Christ, their dead dreams would spring back to life. That their flattened marriages would raise back up for you are the God who raises up the former desolations. That whatever has 
the devil has tried to desolate in their life. Father, that you would raise it back, not to its former glory, but far greater, that they would be a billboard of heaven's goodness in this generation. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Whatever the world sees as unchangeable, you are the unchangeable changer. Whatever has been deemed impossible, I pray, Father, as they work out your word, work out their salvation with fear and trembling, I pray, I don't ask you to make the miracle possible. I say make it easy. That just as Moses cried to God and said, Lord, do something about this Red Sea. There's some of you that have been crying to God about the sea. When God didn't say, cry to me about seas, He said, take the rod with which which the word of God is the rod of God. Take the rod and with it you shall do signs and wonders. Stop crying to me, the Lord is saying to some of you, about that sea and instead act on my word and see the sea split for you. And not only the same sea that split for you, the same miracle that resulted in you breaking free will also result in every one of your enemies demise in the name of Jesus Christ and the Egyptians the depression the anxiety the perils that you see today ye shall see no more in Jesus mighty name in Jesus name if you prayed that prayer just shout amen there's someone here that has a heart problem someone watching right now you have heart problems you don't pump the same way your doctor said uh, your blood pressure's whack, out all out of whack, maybe because of clogged valves or whatever. Just like God's hand, without any surgical cutting or anything, reached into Adam's rib cage and took a rib off, and he woke up the next morning, not even knowing he went through surgery. The same invisible hand goes right through you right now, into your heart. And gives a strengthening touch. And whatever clogging comes undone now. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to give today, you can do so by going to salvationnow.ca slash give. I'll put it up in the comment section. Uh, in the Right on the screen. Salvationnow.ca slash give. And you can do so uh, by coming on as a monthly partner. Or you can do, do a one-time gift. And I want to thank everyone for doing that. You know, talking about violent faith for miracles, you you can have uh, you can have miracles in your finances. You know, God's not interested in every part of your life except your finances. He actually talked more about money than on a lot of other things. God's interested in all every area of your life, and the Bible says that uh, he that honors the Lord with his substance and with the first fruit of all his increase god will fill his barns with plenty and his vats will overflow with new wine you can't pray your well you pray your way out of uh, poverty or lack or insufficiency you can't it's not scriptural there's certain things you pray for and there's certain things uh there's certain things that you have to do and partner with god for the fulfillment of his promise in your life you know, when he, when Jesus wanted to supply food for 5,000 men, not counting women or children, he didn't pray for bread to disappear. 
whatever they had, that five loaves and two fish, the little boy's lunch, put into the hands of Jesus, multiplied. So when God, when God instructs us to give the first fruit, when God instructs us to give of our tithes and offerings, it's not so that he can subtract from you. It's not so he can take from you. You guys are living too well here. Let me show you what it's like to... No, it's so that God can add back to you. You remember when God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, the promised child whom he loved. He had waited many years for that child. It wasn't so that Abraham would actually slit his throat and then, you know, he had to go without a child. The moment he was about to strike the child, he heard a voice from heaven. Don't touch the child. Don't harm him. For now I know that you won't withhold even your most precious seed. And because of this, Genesis 22, in blessing, I will bless you. And in multiplying, I will multiply you. And your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemy. So the blessing, God made a sworn blessing on Abraham. Since he can swear by no, no one greater than himself, God even swore by himself. Genesis 22, in blessing, I will bless you. And in multiplying, I will multiply you. And then you keep on reading Genesis 24. And God had blessed him in every single thing. And he went to his fathers at a good old age. In much livestock, silver, and gold. So God's, you know, God delights in the prosperity of his servants. Not so that you can, uh, you know, it's not so that you can, it's not, there's nothing wrong with you having nice things and a nice home and all that. Absolutely nothing wrong. But God wants to be, use you to be a blessing to your generation. God blesses you first and foremost to bless you and lift you out. But also to make you a blessing to those around you. So that the next, what did we read? J James chapter 2. If someone says he has need and you just say, well, God bless you. May you stay warm. May he keep his favor on you and his face shine upon you. What does it profit that man? That man's faith is dead, the Bible says. And his faith will profit nobody. But instead, when someone says, we have need. You know, I just wish I had a car. Imagine you don't have to say, well, let me just pray and let's believe God. Instead, you, what do you need? You need a car? Let me write you up a check. Buy you a car right now. Are you serious? You can be the answer. God's answer in people's lives. Instead of you going around begging for everybody else's prosperity, asking for donation, left, right, and center because, uh, you know, you, you, need a, you need a new car, you need a new, you know, your, your heating bill. Let me just put up a GoFundMe account for this month's heating bill. Instead of you doing that, God can take you to a point where you're not renting your home. You're not renting or financing your car over 15 years at an 18% interest rate. Paying double the car at the end of the at the end of the lease at the end of the financing. Instead, you not only own cars, you have the ability to write up a check to buy other people's cars. Even have a car dealership. Can you say amen? You know, it's it's people that bash this level of thinking that have kept the body of Christ confined when it comes to to money. And as such, we don't have any Christian airlines. You have every, there's Muslim airlines, Qatar airlines, there's all kinds of Muslim airlines, but there's no Christian airlines. You had religious devils creep into the church unnoticed and in, infect people with their poverty mentality and mindset 
to get the people to not desire anything great. Just live humble. Live within your means. Live small. Do whatever you can just to like stay out of reach. Stay out of notice. And that's why now we're in a pickle even in government. Because someone who grew up in church thinking that way, they're not going to go out and want to be a lawyer and do something great with their life. They're going to stay, well, let me just do the bare minimum. We need Christian lawyers. We need Christian businessmen that have wealth that can pump money into the gospel. And I know that the day is not coming. The day is here. Where the wealth of the wicked has been stored up and there's going to be a switcheroo where it's going to be depleted out of their accounts and come into the accounts of Christian businessmen, businesswomen, entrepreneurs that have a vision from God to fund this end time harvest. And I believe some of you watching are going to be a part of that. And you get to that level by sowing breakthrough seeds. Solomon so loved the Lord that he offered up a thousand burnt offerings. His love for God. That's the primary motivation. I love you, Lord. And he offered up a thousand burnt offerings. Think of this. It's not like a thousand burnt offerings, you know, uh, he just had to go to a Costco and get hamburger patties and just offer them up. No, he had to go, take a knife, slit the throat, drain the blood, do the, you know, whatever washing, whatever they had to do for it to be acceptable to God, go through the Levitical rituals and stuff for a thousand cows. That takes work. That was a sacrificial seed that he gave. Some people are more eager to write up a $1,500 check to buy a new flat screen TV and they've never even written up a $500 check for the gospel. And at the end of your life, when you stand before Paul and Timothy and Stephen who got slain for the gospel and they're talking about what they sacrificed and gave up for the gospel. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Benjamin. I was in line to be a Pharisee of a Pharisee. But all those things I counted as rubbish in comparison that I might know him, the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection. What did you do? Well, you know, I, I really needed to pay off that, bit, that TV that I had bought. And so I financed it over three years and stuff. So I didn't really have time to pay or to sow into the gospel at that time. And <laughs> it's going to be embarrassing for a lot of people. Billy Graham used to say, show me a man's checkbook and I'll show you if he loves God. I'm not doing this to squeeze an offering out of you. Whether, you. whether you give here or somewhere else, I don't care. But you have to give. You have to give. Because Paul said, when you give, God is testing the sincerity of your love. And Solomon so loved the Lord that he offered up a thousand burnt offerings. And what happened in the very same chapter? God appeared to him by night and said, what do you want me to do? And he said, God, give me wisdom to guide your people. And what did that wisdom do for him? Wisdom is profitable to direct. That wisdom made him the most relevant man on the earth. That even the queen of the east came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And when she saw the works that his wisdom produced, she fainted at the sight of it and said, I heard of it. I didn't believe it. But now that I've seen it, I haven't even heard the half of it. Hallelujah. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji or visit us online 
www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.